Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. My name is Patrick Hayes, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Caleb Jenks. So tonight, we're going to be talking about the nation of Israel. Next week, we're going to be getting into suicide. So we're going to tackle that subject. That'll be on Friday, October 2nd. So please be sure to join us for that. So tonight, as I said, we're talking about the nation of Israel. So I was going to, you know, what I was, I had several places I kind of wanted to start here, Caleb, but I kind of wanted to go over one doctrine from the very beginning and make sure we're all straightened out on it. Because if we mess up this one doctrine, then this whole hour will just be a waste of time for a lot of folks. And that doctrine is called replacement theology. And there are a lot of churches, there are a lot of seminaries and Bible colleges and and different forms of higher education for various churches and religions that teach this doctrine called replacement theology. And the idea is that Israel, the nation, and the people have forfeited their rights and the promises God has made to them, and those have now been turned over to the church. Patrick Hayes is now the new supreme being. (laughs) So I wanted to make sure we all understand that that is wrong. Replacement theology is absolutely wrong. Um, the church and the nation of Israel are two different entities. They were founded at different times. They have a different origin, mission, and destiny when we go through the Bible. And the nation. So you're telling of Israel, me you're one of those crazy Zionists? I don't know what that is. What, what, what's a, what's a Zionist? Somebody that believes that that God's promise to the- Israel. Israel in the Old Testament still works today. Well, and that's yeah. that's funny that you brought that up because I am definitely going to go into how that has happened and we have been able to see it in our lifetime. For that matter, Caleb, if if you and I had to look through the whole Bible from Genesis 1 through the end of the Bible all the way up till today and we had to pick a time to live just biblically speaking what time do you think would be the most exciting time to live so you get a lifetime you can put it wherever you want 1945 would have been a pretty cool time (laughs) (laughs) so if you could go back to the garden of eden if you could be around in the days of Noah, if you could be there and hear Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel during the captivity, you know, there's, if you could uh, be there when the Lord was born and you could see him teach and preach and, and be crucified and raise up again. There are a lot of times that I think would be really neat to live, but if I had to pick knowing what I know now and knowing what I've learned from the Bible, I would want to live right now. This is hands down the most exciting time throughout the entire Bible. Can you it, imagine 100, 100, 200 years ago, 
Jews that were spread all over the world, if you told them, hey, here in 50 years, here in 100 years, mm-hmm. uh, there's going to be a, a state of Israel, a nation of Israel, and there's going to be Jewish people living in Israel. It's going to be restored. People would have, I mean, that, that would have been such an amazing prophecy of fulfillment that, that they've been looking forward to for years. And so, here in the 1940s, mm-hmm. that's exactly what happened. And so, yeah, I think that's pretty cool that we get to live in that time. But that that's completely meaningless as a Christian if you don't believe that God's promise still stands to the to the nation of Israel. And and what and a lot Caleb, of Christians don't. And what Caleb is referring to, and and we should we should park here for just a minute because this is so important. So many folks have no idea; they don't understand how important May 18th of 1948 was. See, for, I mean, let's just take me. So I'm 41, maybe I'm 42 years old. I don't remember. Either way, I was born in 1979. So I did not get to see that. For a lot of folks that were born in the 60s and 70s and 80s and were Christians, we just grew up with Israel in the land. Sure, Israel, the nation lives over there in the Middle East, and they're on the news pretty often because, you know, stuff is always going on there and there's always problems going on. But that's really about it as far as the way we look at it. Now, what you have to understand is that from the time of night of uh, 70 AD. So we're talking about roughly 30, 35 years after Jesus was crucified, resurrected and ascended into heaven. 30 to 35 years after that in 70 AD, the Roman legions came in under general Titus and sacked Jerusalem, leveled the temple and fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus talked about when he said, not one stone will remain upon another. And the reason was they literally lit the place on fire. And if you have any biblical understanding, you know exactly how much gold there was in the temple. So when the soldiers were going through the rubble later, they literally kicked over every single stone to try to find some gold that had melted and puddled up under a rock somewhere. So at that time, you had millions of Jews who were who were just massacred. And then you had the great uh, dispersion or the dispersion, okay, where all the Jews uh, started to move all throughout the world. And now you have Jews in Germany and Jews in Russia and Jews in Poland and Jews, you know, in America, the Jews went all throughout the world. Okay. So they started moving all throughout the world. Obviously they, they didn't start out going right to America in 70 AD, but you you understand my point. They were no longer in the nation of Israel. And if you go through the history of the Jews from that time until 1948, they did not have a good run of things. And then leading up to that time was World War II and how they were treated with Adolf Hitler, which was a supernatural spiritual attack by the devil to try to eradicate the nation of Israel, kill every single Jew that uh, Adolf Hitler could get his hands on. And shortly after World War II, you can look up commentaries 
biblical commentaries that go over the land grant, the, the unconditional promise, the promise that was forever given to Abraham and reiterated again and again to Isaac and to Jacob and explained over and over and over again in the, in the Old Testament. And you can read commentaries written at that time where everybody said there, that is clearly an allegory. Israel is never going to get into the land. And anyone that said that they believed Israel would literally live in the land, they would name themselves Israel, and they would speak Hebrew again, all which were prophesied in the Bible, you would be laughed at as a Christian. You would be laughed to scorn as one of those crazy, funny dementalists who believes the Bible for just what it says, you are a crazy person. And you would think that all the debates would have been settled on May 18th of 1948 when they are given their land and David Ben-Gurion, quoting from the book of Isaiah, decides to name the nation <clears throat> Israel. Fulfilling prophecy, <clears throat> which nobody on earth other than a couple of fundamentalists that took the Bible at face value believed could ever happen. So now, <clears throat> guys like me and Caleb and some other folks still believe that Israel has a role and that role is going to extend all the way up until the millennial reign of Christ. And we read about that through the Bible. And the folks that laugh at that I always point back and say, well, what about May 18th of 1948? And they're like, well, what about it? I'm like, are you kidding me? The Jews who just came out of the Holocaust were rounded up and brought back together into their homeland. And, and the, the, the nation flew its flag under the star of David for the first time in how long? So, <clears throat> Caleb, I want to give you an idea, just to give you an idea, this is the history, okay? Give me two more minutes and I'll, I'll be done with my opening tirade. So, on, <clears throat> on May 14th of 1948, Israel declared its independence. Israel was immediately invaded by six Arab nations. UN Resolution 181 in November of 1947, it petitioned that 18% of the land were to be give, given to the Jews and 82% of the land to the Arabs, making Jerusalem an international city. The Arabs rejected the resolution, demanding all of it. And if you go to the Middle East today, if you go to Saudi Arabia or Iraq, you go to Iran, which I understand is not Arab, it's Persian, but neither here nor there, you will not find the nation of Israel on their maps. The children in the schools are taught that it is their land and Israel does not exist. <clears throat> so they were immediately attacked. And they were able to uh, uh, fight that off. Then on Yom Kippur, which is coming up in just a couple of days, but on Yom Kippur of 1973, thousands of tanks swept into Israel for a sneak attack. Israel's forces were all on leave in Jerusalem, celebrating the most holy religious holiday. 
It took Israel three days to mobilize, and the 300,000 Israelis fought off 1.2 million Arabs. 61 nations broke diplomatic relations with Israel for defending herself, while no recourse was taken against the Arab nations. The United Nations has condemned Israel more than 370 times for defending itself, but has never condemned the aggressors who attack her. Israel captured East Jerusalem back in 1967, along with the Temple Mount. Israel gave that Temple Mount back to King Hussein of Jordan, who in turn gave it to Yasser Arafat and his PLO in 1994. Yasser Arafat was given the Nobel Peace Prize and is hailed as a champion of justice for the oppressed Palestinian people. He was a terrorist whose mission in life was to exterminate every Jew on earth and push Israel into the sea. He is now dead. Thank God. He was a monster. But what we find is that Israel, against all odds, has been attacked and defended herself. It's surrounded by its enemies. It is smaller than the state of New Jersey. It should not exist other than the supernatural protection of God that is promised in Zechariah chapter 12, verses 6 through 9. We read, In that day will I make the governors of Judah like an hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheath. And they shall devour all the people round about on the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at the day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, and the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now, real quick. I'm sorry for reading four whole verses. I know that bored some of you right off of the, off of this podcast. You have to understand. I got excited. I thought maybe you were going to go to the end of the chapter. <laughs> At this time, when this was written, they were already back in the land. So there was already the Babylonian captivity. They were taken away. They were put back. They were in Jerusalem at this time. And it is talking about how they will come back to Jerusalem. And when they do, God will supernaturally protect them and devour their enemies. And when they have been attacked and outnumbered four to one, five to one, six to one by all these Arab countries, guess what? They never lose. And it is because God promises to protect Israel. Okay, that's all I got. I'm going to take a breath. So jump in here. Tell me what you think, Caleb. Yeah, it's um, well. There's a lot to a lot to unpack uh, on some of this, and of course, I probably don't even know. Uh, there's a, there's probably a lot that I don't even understand about this, and and we don't right now. It's it's easy for us as on this side uh, of Israel becoming a state to be like, Oh yeah, I can get, get on board with this because you know, it's hindsight is 2020, so to speak. Sure. But if you look at, uh, if you look at even in, well, I, I like to look at the news 
sometimes I scan Facebook or Google or wherever I see news articles. Of course, those are both reliable places to get very unbiased news, Google and Facebook, obviously. There you go. But (laughs) you, you end up refreshing the page and you kind of wonder if there's any good news going to be happen out there and there's just more bad news. But in, in 1945, uh, Franklin Roosevelt was, he was, um, dabbling with middle east peace a little bit and he made a promise to the arabs that oh well we won't we'll make sure we don't do anything with these people that are trying to restore israel without you know consulting both sides and he was trying to you know kind of who, who nobody knew how it was going to turn out in 1948 but that was kind of some of the beginning of the news uh, on that cycle well then of course once israel comes out and wins then all of a sudden the united states and a whole bunch of other countries all of a sudden start getting on board with israel um and it reminds me of, there's a passage in Jeremiah uh, 23, 7 and 8 here I pulled up. It says, therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say the Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But they will say, as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I had driven them. So in other words, this would be something that people would swear by because as, as obvious as that um, this would be just as much of a miracle as him bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And this is something that is talked about in, in churches, obviously, you know, Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt is looked at as, as undeniable proof of God intervening in a supernatural way. But in Jeremiah, it says that it's going to be just as spectacular proof that God is with his people when he brings them back from the countries that they've been driven to. Mm-hmm. And so we see this here to me, I, I, there's some people that would say, well, is, is this really a, a fulfillment of biblical prophecy? You know, and, and there's Christians that I've, I've heard of argued against the point that the nation of Israel being established was actually a fulfillment of prophecy. But in my, in, in my reading the Bible, for it to happen in any way, shape or form, no matter when or how it happened is, is a, it, it is a fulfillment of prophecy and it is definitely amazing. But when you actually look through and you read some of the statistics of that war, like Patrick mentioned, the odds were stacked completely against them and they came out on top. And there mm-hmm. was so many, so many stories. I've read some, some books on some of that, man, that, that was, that was a great, I mean, I, that, I, I wouldn't have been able to sleep. I'd have been up at night reading the news just to, just to watch what happened. In fact, I didn't, um, as a kid, we didn't, we didn't have TV. We didn't really read the news, but I, I had the encyclopedia and a whole set of yearbooks that went back to the 1920s. So that was my best source of being informed on what was happening in the world as I went back and read all the yearbooks and it really caught my attention. I remember, uh, the situation with the, uh, Oh, what was it? The Olympics with the Israeli hostages. I, I read mm-hmm. about that. I said, wow, that's fascinating. And then I, I got into the 1940s, started reading about that. And it really started about 1945 on. It started getting really, really interesting. And it just, the whole thing, nobody saw it coming. And it it just, all of a sudden, it was like, here it is. We got Israel again. And I'll tell you what, as soon as Israel ended up back in the land, all the biblical scholars were running back to their Bibles to be like, holy cow, whoa, now, wait, now what? Now we got to revise all these nonsensical commentaries we've been writing. You know, so I wanted to read you a quick verse here while we're going on. Uh, this yeah. is in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. And it, it says, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again 
the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and Pathros and Cush and Elam and Shinar and Hamath and from the islands of the sea. Now here, Isaiah is talking about God bringing his people back to him a second time. Do you understand that they did not even leave Jerusalem the first time yet? Okay, Isaiah was right. in the middle of the list of the kings in Judah. With the, it's not recorded, but it was believed that he was killed during the reign of Manasseh. Well, there were many kings after him prior to Israel being taken from the land for the first time in the Babylonian captivity. So for him to make that prophecy that God's going to bring the nation of Israel back to the land a second time is impressive since he God didn't even give them the boot the first time. And we see that that happened shortly after that. And then they come back uh, 70 years after they're in captivity in Babylon. And then they rebuild uh, the wall and the city and the temple. And then things are as normal all the way up until and through the time of Christ. And then shortly after, and, that, and then comes into the time when I was talking about when the Romans sacked Jerusalem. So then they were dispersed throughout the world, and then they were brought back into the land the second time. So I, I just wanted to give you, and that obviously they were brought back into the land uh, in 1948. So I just wanted to give you the scripture that goes along with that. So you didn't think Caleb right. and I were just making it up here. So uh, Caleb, can I go all the way back to the book of Genesis and read you know, a verse or two here that I think are really important when we're talking yeah. about um, Israel. Okay, so if I had to pick the most important verse about Israel in the entire Bible, it would be found in Genesis chapter 12, and that's verses 1, 2, and 3. And everyone who is serious about the Bible and at biblical uh, eschatology has read these verses. It says, now the I Lord... I don't have any idea what it is. <laughs> you <laughs> you know, will. Going into, as soon I'm as sure I I'll read it, you'll be like, oh yeah, okay, that's where that is. Uh, I'm terrible now, about references. <laughs> now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. Verse three, here's the big one. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So God makes a promise there to Abram, who later gets the name Abraham. But more importantly than that, God makes a promise to everyone else on earth. He says that he will bless those that bless Israel. And that promise is still true today. And I often get asked the question, Patrick, where does America end up in the end times? You know, the rapture, the, the great tribulation, the, the millennial reign, the whole second come. Where's America and all that? And the other question that comes up a lot is why hasn't God judged America? And I don't know if you remember the, the quote from Billy Graham that I like so much where he said, if God doesn't judge America soon, he's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. 
And obviously that's funny because we know that America is moving in that direction and continually gets to be worse and worse uh, as far as sin goes. Uh, we are one of the greatest exporters of sin on the planet Earth. And a lot of people are wondering, well, why hasn't the judgment of God fallen upon the, on America yet? If I had to answer that question, I would tell you that our policy as a whole has been pro-Israel. And it is because America supports Israel. That, we, that God's hand of wrath has been held from coming down on America. In the last four years, our president, President Trump, has moved the embassy into Jerusalem. A dozen presidents had said that they were going to do that. And they threatened that they were going to do, do that. He did it. He's the one that said, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and therefore our embassy to the nation of Israel will be in Jerusalem. That was planting a flag and saying America stands with the Jews in Israel, more so than any president that I have ever read about. So that's something that's interesting that you bring up there, because I know um, I've actually had discussions with Christians that I know. And of course I was excited about this when I heard this is happening. And some people have the opinion of, Oh, well, why should we care? You know, we don't, as Christians, we're, we're of a kingdom that's not of this earth. Why would we care about what's going on in Israel? Who cares if the embassy is in Tel Aviv or if it's in Jerusalem? Um, and it's really interesting how you just brought this this up, and this is the promise, which is a promise of, of a blessing or a curse, that those who bless Israel will be blessed, and those who curse Israel will be cursed. And I find that sometimes in Christianity, we got such a bunch of, um, what's the correct word? I got to be careful what I use for verbiage on this podcast. Um, we, got, we have such a bunch of soft, soft, politically correct careful people within Christianity that um, are afraid to dabble in politics or, or get involved in anything at all that would be controversial, that we would be afraid to take a stand even between something like the nation of Israel and the Arab nations around there. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's interesting to me how um, this replacement theology actually plays into this anti-Zionism Zionism, where, where people are actually Christians that are actually against the state of Israel. There's a lot of Christians that have signed on to this whole boycott Israel movement and this nonsense where they believe that um, anybody that supports um, this, the nation of Israel is somehow these imposters that are committing human rights violations because we're replacing against people the out of their native. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, can I can I jump in there because my yeah, blood pressure yeah, just shot up like double digits. Okay. Okay, yeah, number <clears throat> number 1 that is Israel is one of the only places in the Middle East where every single Arab has clean water and sanitation. Did you hear that? Go yeah. to any other Arab nation in the Middle East and you cannot find one where they all 
have clean water and sanitation. Do you know and that the Jewish the IDF provides security for them while they go and practice their uh, religious ceremonies and stuff on yep. the you know desecrating. They are allowed holy. to worship freely, Caleb. They are allowed to vote over there. Yep. It is insane. Women are allowed to have bank accounts. They're allowed to drive cars. They're allowed to get jobs. They're allowed to learn to read. They do not have forced genital mutilation uh, performed on them. The uh, honor killings from the Arabs are illegal there. There is no place on earth where Arabs have it better than present day Israel. And for that matter, they're always talking about, oh, these poor Palestinian people, these poor Palestinian people. Do you know that Palestinian people don't exist? Do you understand that? That was a name given to the land by the enemies of Israel. There has right. never been a single group of people in the history of the world that were uh, um, uh Palestinians that live there. The Palestinians they're talking about by birth, religion, language, and culture are Arabs. That's it. There's no Palestinian flag. It's nonsense. It is made up. Okay, there has never been a Palestinian people, nation, culture, language, religion, or economy. The claim that Palestinians are a group of people who lived in the land called Palestine for thousands of years is a bold-faced lie supported by the UN. Okay, Those who call themselves Palestinians today are Arabs by birth, language, Islamic religion, and culture. The name Palestine comes from the Philistines, ancient enemies of the land of Israel. In AD 130, the Romans rebuilt Jerusalem as a pagan city and built the temple to Jupiter, where the Jewish temple used to stand. The Romans renamed the land Syria Palestina. That is where the name come from. That's it. There's no such thing as Palestinians. It is nonsense. And if you believe that, read a book. It is the most ignorant thing you could possibly believe. You cannot find any evidence anywhere throughout all of history, unless you go to Saudi Arabia. In that case, yeah, guess what? The history books are going to teach that. It's kind of like, was it, was it oh, jazz? Oh, and, okay, and Jews are not allowed to step foot in Saudi Arabia. Did you know that? It is illegal for a Jew to even step foot foot in Saudi Arabia. If you or I try to go to Saudi Arabia and we have a passport that has been stamped in Israel, we will be stopped and questioned about it. That is the that is the mentality of the countries surrounding Israel. They are third world, dark ages, medieval monsters. And that is putting it softly. <laughs> All right, so everybody can unmute your computers again at this point. Patrick is going to take some high blood pressure medication. And I'll tell and... you how I really feel if you want to know. Oh, man. Um, so, and we wonder why it is that we have uh, the children of Israel and everybody around them turned against them, why the Arabs mm -hmm. are that way. Well, this was a blessing <laughs> that was put on everybody around the children of Israel clear back. If you go back to Ishmael, 
when God gave him the amazing bl- blessing after he tried to, uh, tried to, uh, well, here, let me pull this up because I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. No justice. What you looking for? Wait. Um, I guess this would be Genesis nine twenty seven here. Let's see if I can pull this up. I was having really bad problems with my computer earlier trying to get it to share the um, Facebook post, and now it's not loading this. Can you pull up uh, Genesis nine twenty seven on your end? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, here, as a matter of fact, I have this old book bound in leather with a black cover. Let me just flip through here. Genesis chapter 9, verse 27. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of his servant. Mm. Sorry. (laughs) Maybe go back to... Yeah, I don't think you're there. What are you looking for? I'll just recite it. uh, Let's go Genesis 17, 20, maybe. Um, Okay. Are you looking for a promise of the land grant? Because I have this up already. Okay. Uh, Genesis chapter 17, verse 20. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. Are you looking for the split between Ishmael and... Yeah, so we we have this here, and then um, I really should have... Um, then there's Jacob and Israel, uh, Jacob and Esau as well, and you have you have some of these these situations where God promised that there was going to be descendants that, that were going to come, but they were going to be their servants, that they were going to be enemies, that they were going to um, Ishmael. Ishmael was, did, I think Ishmael was promised twelve tribes, or twelve princes were going to come from Ishmael, and then um, the same thing with. Um, Jacob, who became Israel, and and Esau, his brother, was uh, given the the promise of a curse, basically, by mm-hmm. his father. It's like, nope, I already gave the blessing away. And uh, so some of these some of these blessings where God, it wasn't so much of a blessing as much as a prophecy, where God was telling, this is what's going to become of your people. And it's interesting how some how some of the the uh, the nations around Israel have become so obsessed with the destruction of Israel. And yet we see it promised in the Bible. And I did zero homework leading up to this. I should have had some of these scriptures pulled up, but my internet connection is not working on the laptop. Anyways, um, the idea that Christians fall into the trap of by not wanting to take a stand when it comes to Israel Mm -hmm. on these issues because of wanting to become, be, politically neutral or whatever Mm -hmm. we end up finding ourselves falling in the trap of sympathizing with those who curse israel and Mm -hmm. and i I find christians that fall into these bds groups and these um these groups where that are anti-israel and have no idea really what you're doing because you're trying to be the, the good guy or sympathize with the underdog or whatever whatever kind of lies that you're being peddled and believing um in order to be a nice christian all of a sudden you find yourself opposing god's people and there's 
curses that come with that. I mean, we oh, are yeah. promised curses from God by opposing the nation of Israel. And so it's, it's really interesting to me how, um, how many people I, I have, I don't know, 1200 friends on Facebook or something. And a lot of them would identify as Christians and are, I will see them make snide remarks about, Oh, these, you know, Zionists and, you know, uh, people that are pro-Israel and, uh, you know, Israel is actually, st- you know, standing on the graves of Palestinian children and, you know, all this, this nonsense that they, that they'll, that they'll peddle. And it's looked at as if, um, as a Christian, that you can't take a stand on this issue. Well, we are told in scripture to take a stand, um, for Israel and that if we don't, we're going to be cursed. Oh, Caleb mentioned the word curse several times, and it's not a popular word used today in churches. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of Christians that just flat out think that, you know, curses don't exist and that God doesn't curse anyone. And that that's nonsense. Um, I would suggest that you reread your Bible from cover to cover again, because God goes over it again and again and again. If you want a quick synopsis of curses and blessings, read Deuteronomy chapter 28. It explains the blessings and the curses of God, and it is frightening. And disobedience comes with it consequences, uh, just as obedience comes with it consequences. And you do not want to be on the wrong side of that. You do not want to be hating uh, those people that God loves. And and let's not forget, Caleb, who is the most famous Jewish person in the whole Bible that we hear about every time we go to church? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Jesus is Jewish. This it's a Jewish book written about Jewish families. That I mean, that's the whole thing. You cannot be anti-Semitic if you are a Christian. Your savior, who you are supposed to love and try to be like, emulate, and follow, is Jewish. And Jesus didn't stop being Jewish just because he founded the church in the New Testament. That didn't change any. So I think people are woefully mixed up you know, on this topic. And I think a lot of folks try to move in and assume that, well, you know, the Jews are kind of forgotten about because they've messed up a whole bunch. And now we are the ones that, you know, are going, are God's chosen people. And it's like, no, 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 no. You have to remember that Israel has a different origin, mission, and destiny than the church. Christians saved After the time of Christ, we can call ourselves the church. We can call ourselves the bride of Christ. Those are all titles that are acceptable and used in the Bible. That's fine. We are not God's chosen people. And one thing I want everyone to remember is that God's chosen people, guess where they are when the rapture happens? They're left behind. They are here on earth. Jesus describes the great tribulation as the time of Jacob's trouble. You have to remember that the whole reason for that time, that all the bowls of wrath and the vials of wrath and the judgments of God that are poured out upon the earth, they are for the unbelieving Jews to get them to come around and submit and acknowledge their mistake and acknowledge who the true Messiah was. 
That's the purpose of it. Now, yes, all that wrath falls upon all the earth, but the group that does not have to go through it is the bride of Christ. Jesus comes back for his bride. So don't forget that. It is, it is very different, the two groups. And, and it is different all the way through the book of Revelation and the millennial reign. Okay, it, Those two groups are never looked at as equals. Now, the Jews can get saved and be part of the bride of Christ. But I hate to tell you, I never get to be more Jewish than I was when I was born, which is zero. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's it. Okay, believe me, there were no Jews that ever made it up to Ireland. I guarantee I am 0% Jewish. So it's kind of like a square and a rectangle, you know. Maybe you're uh, one of the lost or, tribes. Yeah. Oh, my soul. Do you want to get into lost tribes cuz I'll go off on a on a bit about lost tribes. Another mainstream nonsensical lie in Christianity. And I'll be happy to go over that if we run out of time, you know, talk about everything else. <laughs> I was I was introduced to some of that um, nonsense and had to do a re some research on it when a, a good friend of mine started telling me, you know, you know, the Jews in Israel are actually not Jews. They're just, you know, they're imposters are posing as Jews. Mm -hmm. and, and we're actually, you know, Caucasians. We're actually the true lost yeah. tribes of Israel. <laughs> and, and, and Caleb, like, you are just you a white supremacist? Oh, man. <clears throat> Caleb, you just hit the nail on the head. The reason for the whole 10 lost tribes argument is the, 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 the conclusion they get to is trying to find a way to say that Israel does not have a right to the land and that it is actually uh, supposed to be given to someone else. So the, the problem with the whole thing, and you read about this in, uh, I believe it is First Kings, it might be Second Samuel, so forgive me, but it's right after the time of uh, uh, Solomon, you find that his son Rehoboam becomes the first king of Judah. And then another gentleman, Jeroboam, who was actually the son of a servant of King Solomon, not related to King Solomon, who was actually hiding in exile, I believe it was in Egypt, gets called up and is asked to lead a movement and he ends up coming back and they put a crown on him and call him the king. He becomes the king of the northern uh, uh, portion of Israel that is named Israel. The southern half of Israel is named Judah. Now, we can still call all of it Israel, but understand through the whole books of first and second kings it's divided in half the northern kingdom is israel the southern kingdom is judah now what happens and this is explained in the bible is that the northern kingdom the northern kingdom did not contain jerusalem and the problem was all the jews three times a year would go down to the southern kingdom to jerusalem for passover and the feast of unleavened bread for pentecost and then for Yom Kippur for the th uh, three times to celebrate the seven feast days. So the, the entire northern kingdom was kind of emptied out and everyone would go down to the southern kingdom to Jerusalem. King uh, Jeroboam did not like that. So he set up his own altars. He set up false gods and he tried to remove Judaism from the northern kingdom and turn it into complete idol worshiping uh, paganism. And he was successful. And he did that so that none of his people would go south. Well, what happened was 
all of the <clears throat> believing Jews went south and all the pagan worshiping idolatrous Jews went north. <clears throat> so at that time, <clears throat> the idea that you could even distinguish from the tribes is laughable because they all mixed. From that point forward, it was really separated into the group of Jews who wanted to worship uh, the God Jehovah and the group of Jews that wanted to worship uh, the god Molech and the Canaanite gods. So all the pagan idol-worshipping Jews went north, all the God-fearing Jews went south, and all the tribes all mixed up at that time. So to try to say that there were lost tribes after that time, during the Assyrian uh, captivity from the north, and then um, uh, years later, the Babylonian captivity for the southern kingdom is ridiculous because they all mixed and became homogenized at that time. And the Bible says that. So you can go and do your homework and you'll find that it's written out clearly. So the idea that there were mixed, there were lost tribes is a joke. It is not found in the Bible and it is always used to try to uh, make Israel's claim to the land illegitimate. Yeah, and when you t when you take your biblical theology from uh, Indiana Jones, um, <laughs> and you end up with these types of problems, <laughs> I never watched the movie, but apparently um, that's messed up. And it, it, supposedly they they rediscovered some of the lost tribes. So, um, and the interesting, the sad thing about this is that what happened in the northern tribes of Israel actually not only did they were they all mixed up but it fed over into the southern part of Israel too and if you read the book of Jeremiah it's pretty clear that they started idol worship in in Judah as well they were setting up idols in their temples and that's that's what led to their downfall um yeah right, so absolutely. back in to in that whole monologue, I don't want you thinking that the southern kingdom of Judah was like squeaky clean. Like Caleb said, <laughs> yeah, exactly. they were wholly pagan. <clears throat> I would argue there were two good kings the whole time that they were split up in the southern kingdom. You could argue maybe a few more, but it was it was bad news. Sorry, Caleb. Continue. Yeah, yeah. the north the north went uh, went to idol worship, and then things went south in the south as well. Yeah. You could say <laughs> that's good. The south went south. <clears throat> hey, um, um, all right, so. I was going to read. Uh, well, you already you already read the first part of Genesis, uh, chapter twelve. But yeah. um, speaking of this this blessing, which I think is really important, and it's very much of an overstated um, scripture. Everybody has heard it, but it, I don't think it can be. It's it, you can't um, you can't ignore this scripture. So Genesis twelve, God was talking to Abram, and he mm -hmm. said, he promised him that they that there was going to make it. He was going to make him a great nation, and he said, and I will bless thee them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed um and then i was going to uh, so to give to give a quick just couple verses if you go to genesis 12 uh 13 7 uh sorry genesis 12 13 15 17 and 22 uh, you can also find some portions in 18. You find all the promises that God gave to Abraham where he reiterates it about um, 
that his that he's going to make them the well actually Caleb can I just give you a short list of all the things God said as far as the promises sure. he gave to Abraham okay Abraham's name will be great uh that a great nation will come from him he should be a blessing so great that in him shall all the families of the earth be blessed to him personally and to his seed should be given the land forever to inherit the multitude of the seed should be as the dust of the earth that whosoever blessed him should be blessed whomsoever cursed him should be cursed he will be the father of many nations kings will proceed from him the covenant will be an everlasting covenant it says the land of canaan shall be an everlasting possession god will be a god to him and to his seed his seed shall possess the gates of his enemies and in his seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed and uh that the messiah was going to come from him so those were all the promises given to israel or to abraham as far as the nation of israel then later on we find that there is a land grant <clears throat> and this is given and it's given over and over again as well, where God promises that the land, see what a lot of folks don't understand is that the land is tied to the nation of Israel and they are tied together throughout the whole Bible. So God tells them that they will be plucked off of the land for unfaithfulness, but they will it will be theirs and they will always return to it. There will be a future repentance of Israel. The, there will be a Messiah that will come and will return. Israel will be restored to the land. It says Israel will be restored to the land a second time. Uh, Israel Israel will be converted as a nation. Israel's enemies will be judged. The nation will then receive her full blessing. And that is the millennial reign. So those are all the blessings and promises given to Israel and the land. And understand that none of those apply to the Christian. None at all. Okay, that is between God and Israel. Now, there is an unconditional covenant talked about in Jeremiah 31, where it is specifically spelled out where we fit in, the Gentiles, and it goes over that. We're not going to get into that today, but if you're wondering, go ahead and crack open the Bible and, and look up Genesis 31 and read through it, and you'll see that there is to the other nations, not Israel, to the other nations. That's us. Okay, We are the, we are the goyim. Okay, that is they, they were the nations. See, the way Israel looked at it was there was Israel and then there were the nations. Israel wasn't part of the nations. It was the nation it was of like Israel, Israel and, and not Israel. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly the way it worked out with God. So you can read about that in Jeremiah 31. And there is what is typically called the new covenant. That is also a perpetual covenant. It is forever. And that applies to the Gentiles and you can go over that. Was that helpful? So was, yeah. Okay. Uh, Amos chapter nine, uh, I'm going to read 13 through 15. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed and the mountains shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord God. That's uh, 
I really, it's kind of cool because in some of the other times where uh, the people of Israel were brought back to the land, there wasn't, um, there wasn't a movement like there is right now. And in the, the hills of Samaria right now, there are farmers and there is a amazing push for agriculture and restoration. And we, uh, have you met the, uh, I'm guessing you probably have Patrick met the Waller family. Yeah. You know who they are. Yep. So they, what they're they, doing over there. Yeah. They have a ministry where they're helping the Jewish farmers that are planting grapes and they've actually brought back wine from Israel to the U S and I, I drank that's like Christian whiskey, right? <laughs> drink yeah, drink yeah, wine yeah, from yeah. Israel, right? <laughs> from Israel. That, that family, just so you guys have a little background, and I might be misquoting this, but they are one of the only families in the world where the nation of Israel has given them an unlimited visa, saying, you have been such a help to our country, your family can go as often as you want without restriction. So they're a, they're a family that has tried to go over there and be a blessing to Israel. And, and they've helped a lot of other people go over there and bless Israel as well. They actually, um, they came and spoke at our church here a few years ago, and there was a an older couple from from here from the community that went over to Israel with them. I've wanted to go and I haven't had a chance, but you guys should look it up. It's called Hayuvel is the name of their organization, and it's a it's a great organization. But if you if you look into what they're doing, and they actually do a great job of of explaining how this biblical prophecy is being fulfilled, God. Uh, not just restoring the people to their land, but also restoring the, the land as a, as a waste place. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool when you actually see what's going on there with that. But again, if you have the view that, uh, that the new Testament, that we are now God's chosen people, this replacement theology that Patrick mentioned right off the bat, that we're now God's chosen people and everybody else God has turned his back on. Um, none of this makes any sense. And obviously, as Christians, we are grafted in. God allows us to become his children, the bride of Christ. But it doesn't make it doesn't change the promises that were made to Israel. And that's a, a lot of these promises were made to Israel forever. Um, some of them mm-hmm. are conditional promises. You know, if they were if, if they were walking in obedience to God, that he would bless them. And as you know, as they were rebelling against God, there were there were um promises that would be revoked or curses that that would be on them for not obeying God. But a lot of it tied into the land and to the people of Israel, not into um, us as Christians. It's talking about two separate things. And that you, you also brought up something which on I always you're you're a lot heavier on um, end times theology, the, the, the rapture, the second coming of Christ. Um, and I always a lot of times say, well, as long as you have your salvation sorted out, who cares? We'll, we'll find out what happens in the end. Um, and it would be really cool if we all get raptured and if we don't have to endure the tribulation, uh, that's best case scenario. And then there's some people that don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Um, and so uh, some of those things I've, I've never really gotten deep into um, in theology because I'm like, well, uh, it's kind of he- either here nor there as long as I've got Jesus. But if you read the Bible, there's a lot in in Revelation that is can be extremely confusing if you confuse the nation of Israel with Christianity. Mm-hmm. Like Patrick mentioned, there's a lot of things that it's talking about that are going to um, involve everybody that is 
not God's chosen people. You know, like, like you said, it's God's people and not God's people. And we are originally not God's people. And thankfully through Jesus, um, we can be the bride of Christ, but there is still plenty in the new Testament that separates between, between the two, between uh, Jews and Gentiles. And we're the Gentiles, even though, you know, even though we're white and we look like the lost tribes, we're still Gentiles. <laughs> you know, Caleb, as, <clears throat> as we're approaching the hour, there's one more point that I wanted to get yeah. in. Um, if, if you go over to Israel and you go to the museum, okay, that they have there in Jerusalem that contains the history of Israel, which is prehistoric up until present, um, <clears throat> it, it's a beautiful museum. They put a lot of money into it. it, it it's wonderful, but you will search the entire museum and you will not find the religious history of Israel. You will not find a diagram or a model of the tabernacle. You will not find the things that Moses did. Uh, it's amazing that when you look at the perspective Israel chose when showing itself to the world it has not decided to use the Torah and the fact that they were chosen over every group of people on earth by God to be special. And they have not, they have chosen not to put that in their museum you know, to the world. And it really just goes to show the rest of of us that they are very much non-religious. There are plenty of folks that do take their religion seriously, but as a whole, the nation of Israel, who has a more striking history than any other nation on earth, it is the nation that the entire Bible is centered around and they are not showing that to the world. They're showing their secular history other than artifacts from different times. Like I said, you cannot find a scale model of the tabernacle, or the temple, or any of the things that I read about Bible and are so amazed by. And we look at in awe and wonder and they just, they don't exist over there. So <clears throat> they are very much coming to the point where <clears throat> they, you can see how they, they are almost at the point where they need the Lord to return and prove to them who the Messiah is. It's really all lining up. The idea that the rapture could happen at any time and, and we would be thrust into a period of Earth's history of which there is none like it at any time. Uh, it, it, it's very exciting to me when I look at the geopolitical landscape, when I look at Israel and when I read the Bible and I think to myself, boy, I'll tell you what, any day now, you know, there, there are battles that are coming. There are supernatural events uh, that we uh, are going to be able to witness. I believe that right now is the hands down the most exciting time that a person could live 
uh, Durang throughout all of Earth's history. Yeah, unless it was like the 30s and you could have been in the, like out in Nevada during the Wild West, the gold rush, and woke up in the morning, heat your coffee up, and there's a gunslingers out there in the street. That would have been exciting. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to argue that. That would have been exciting. Don't even have to turn on your Biblically TV to watch an old Western movie. <laughs> Just look at your Biblically front window. speaking, I'm not, I'm, I'm saying it wasn't as relevant as what we're heading into right now. Well, okay, I guess man, that, you got any closing comments No, there? I guess that uh, gets us to the hour. I, uh, I don't know if we contributed any life-changing knowledge to the world <laughs> here or not. But uh, uh, my, uh, my take on it is I think it's, as Christians, we, we shouldn't be afraid to take a stand on this. It's kind of like the abortion issue. Um, you're talking about killing babies or not killing babies. You're talking about standing with God's people or standing against God's people when you're talking about the nation of Israel. So I don't think, I don't think that this is something that should actually be a controversial topic in Christianity. I think that it's something that we should all be able to um, stand alongside Israel and, and realize that we're watching biblical prophecy being fulfilled before our eyes in Israel. That was it for me. Okay, well, with that, everybody, I'm just going to say Shabbat Shalom. Have a good night, and I can't wait to get back here next week. And we are going to talk about the topic of suicide. You know, I forgot to make any announcements, which is worthless because we're at an hour. But just so everyone knows, we are now on Google Play as well. So you can look up this podcast on either Spotify or Google Play. And you can listen to all of our past podcasts on there, just the audio files, download them, listen to them at your leisure, please share them. And then if you're listening to us on a podcast, you can catch the live show every Friday night at 8 p.m. Uh, Mountain Time or 9 p.m. Central Time on our Facebook page. And I think our handle is uh, Bible Thumper 1611. I actually changed that when you weren't looking, Caleb. So now we have a handle. So just search for Bible Thumper 1611 and you will find uh, this page and you can watch the video live and you can comment and talk back and forth with us as we do this in the evenings. Yeah. And the, the benefit to that is you get the you'll get the episode early as opposed to watching or listening to it on Spotify. Um, it'll come on there a few days after the fact, whenever we broadcast it on Facebook, um, it's, it's nearly a real time discussion. Oftentimes the comments are a bit delayed and we don't necessarily see your comments as they come in, but usually by the end of the episode, we've got most of the com the comments were able to uh, get to your questions. And uh, so it's kind of a live discussion. You can also see, Patrick's amazing facial hair. He's. I, are you going for the three button beard? I think the Amish they call that a three button beard. No, that's two buttons. Really? So you still got to yeah. go another button down. You'll be the three button beard before long. Yeah, oh, we're you're getting, getting close. There. Yeah, it's you're it's past close. the second button if you look, but we got a little ways to go. And we'll sometimes, if you're sometimes if Patrick forgets to put his hat on, you get to see him with his bald head. You got to put your sunglasses Beautiful, on. Beautiful, thick, curly locks of hair. <laughs> that the ladies used to line up to run their fingers through. <laughs> so yeah, find us. If you're listening on Spotify, find us on Facebook. Um, and uh, thank you, Patrick, for finally getting that up on, on there. I've been waiting for you to finally pick up the slack where I, where I was, <laughs> where I was dragging my heels on that. So it's good to know we're, we're on as an official podcast. I don't think we're ranking 
top 10 yet, but next week after we talk about suicide and we have a big scandal on that, we probably will, will be ranking well, higher. And I'm not looking to drag this thing on, but I don't know if you saw in the news that Spotify and Joe Rogan were having some serious problems. So for those of you that don't know, Joe Rogan has the most popular podcast on earth. Uh, the Joe Rogan experience. I'm not suggesting you listen to it, but it is the most popular one out there. It's very different from ours. But Spotify now wants to uh, have administrative control over what episodes get on there, and they want to be able to edit certain things out because they disapprove of the content. And Free speech only, at its best. Yeah. <laughs> and it's only been going on. He moved over to Spotify for what is believed to be a $100 million contract. So I just want to let everyone at Spotify know that Caleb and I would be more than happy to take his spot for, say, <laughs> half of that amount of money. And you can have a podcast that is easily just as controversial and uh, much less politically correct than joe rogan has been on his worst day <laughs> what, what you need to do is um when you upload this to spotify you need to you need to tag put in the tags put joe rogan in there be like discussing the nation of israel and joe rogan <laughs> maybe, we'll get, <laughs> maybe we'll get some more views <laughs> oh brother all right well y'all have a good weekend shabbat shalom thanks patrick shabbat shalom good night everyone